Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Am I in trouble? I'm using the same mic the Tringale family did. Although someone said on Facebook the picture of me from a number of years ago, I looked just like Gabe. I said, I told him, thank you, Gabe. A <laughs> couple of announcements before we look into God's word together. Um, we had scheduled a, a, a retreat, a kind of conference here as a part of our Discern series. We we're going to have uh, Chuck and Ingrid Davis as our speakers. They have had a, a medical emergency in their family, and so we are actually going to reschedule that conference for the fall. So... Um, we're going to continue on with our Discern series over the course of these next four weeks. And over these four weeks, we have a workbook for every day, a devotional for every day. You can also listen to on Facebook Live. I unpack even more of this idea of Discern uh, each day. There's also a podcast that you can listen to on Spotify and on Apple and any of you that can join us for this, it has been just an amazing time uh, looking at this idea of spiritual discernment. Now, let, let's think about this for a minute as we proceed forward. The idea of being spiritually discerning is simply the idea that you're beginning to develop spiritual sightedness. Any believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. That means the fullness of God who is all-knowing indwells the believer's life. You have the Holy Spirit as the divine resident inside the walls of your life. So everything that God knows is accessible to you. But in order for that to happen, you have to begin to realize you have to renounce your own wisdom. You have to renounce and even empty yourself of all the ways that other people have taught you so that you can actually be taught of God. Now, wisdom is competence in regards to how life really works. If you're, you know, like most people, you spend most, a lot of time complaining, a lot of time negative, easily offended, it means in some ways that you have not really learned how life really works. Because wisdom helps you to navigate even disappointment helps you to navigate people who don't do what you expect them to do. It helps you to navigate life well. But it's not human wisdom. It's actually the wisdom of God. And so one of the aspects that we've been talking about is that most of us, our biggest problem with spiritual discernment is that we're not moving and leaning into kind of a only focus on God's will for your life. Most of us, whether we admit it or not, are still trying to get God to enact our will. We're trying to get God to resource our agenda. So there has to come this, this movement, if you're going to be spiritually mature, if you're going to become spiritually wise, where you begin to Believe that God's will is so good for you that you will surrender to his will. And in a way, 
you'll lose interest in anything but his will. Now, that's a process that takes quite a while. And it's a process that takes you and I often failing and then getting back up from our failure and saying, okay, okay, God, teach me. Teach me again. Teach me to be wise. And so as we look at this next four sections, thinking about wisdom, thinking about spiritual sightedness, then what we're going to need to look at is how does God's will describe you? So what I'd like to do today and this week, this is about, you know, what is really me and what is not me, okay? What is me and what is not me? Now, I'm not going to preach on Mike, I'm preaching on you. So I'd like you to say it with me. Would you say it with me? What is me and what is not me? Now, I'd like you to look at somebody as maybe a family member, somebody that knows you, and look at them and say, what is me and what is not me? Because if we're successful this week, you'll begin to understand where you begin and where you end. So that you will be able to have relationships with people that are healthy. Now, it's very likely that the people in your life won't like this. They may even be your opposition. Because most of us have learned dysfunction, not function. And so we don't know what is me. We know what everybody else thinks is me. And so we're always trying to live up to what they think you are. And you see, that's not wisdom. Because wisdom is, I am now indifferent to other people's approval. I am indifferent to the anxiety that other people's pleasing brings. You see, if your brain is filled up with how do I get approval from others, it has no space for God's wisdom. If your brain is filled up with how do I please everybody so everybody's happy with me, then you're no longer a servant of God, you're a slave of people. I didn't say that. Paul says it in Galatians 1.10. So, let's start at the beginning. Go all the way back to Genesis. Will you read this with me? I like it when we read God's Word out loud. So, would you read God's Word with me? Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, there's a lot in this, right? You're made in the image of God. You're an image bearer of God. And when it says in verse 27, God created man, it's talking about God created humans. Because it, it clarifies it later and says male and female. See, male and female equally created in the image of God. A completion of the image of God, male and female. But notice the default setting of God. It is not God cursed them. 
The default setting of God is God bless them. Do you understand? The reason I'm taking you through this series is so that you can have capacity for blessing. You know, there was an interesting thing that I saw this week. You know, a lot of times people will say something like this, let go and let God. Ever, you heard that before? Now, I mean, it sounds kind of nice. Let go and let God. But, it, but usually what people are talking about when they do that, they're not surrendering. They're rendering themselves passive. Or they're thinking this. I'm going to take a leap of faith and see if God will catch me. What, it, what we really need to understand, if you're a believer, the curse has been reversed. And you are in the hand of God's blessing already. When you're letting go, you're just saying, I'm in your hand. I'm already in your blessing. I'm already in your favor. You're, not, you're saying, I'm, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to get out of the way and live in the state that God has placed me in when he redeemed me by the blood of Jesus. See, it's not you're letting go and hoping. You're letting go and trusting. And you're saying, God, you know how to lead my life better than I do. Real wisdom is a movement towards indifference to anything but God's will for you. You can't bless yourself without him first blessing you. But if you are in Christ, the greatest blessing has ever happened. You've become a child of God. And the seal of that is the Holy Spirit in your life. So let's think like God thinks in terms of how he blesses his people. So the me and not me. So think through this with me. God is a God who loves boundaries. Okay, He loves physical boundaries. And so even in the physical world, you see, if you buy a house or you buy an apartment, but a house especially, if you buy a house, there'll be a physical description in the deed, in the title of your house. And usually when you buy that house, someone stakes off your property. Now, whatever is inside that, those stakes is now your property. It's your responsibility. Whatever is outside those stakes is not. Come on, you can see the parallel. God has staked off your life. And we're going to look at what is you and what is not you so that you begin to understand I'm not responsible for everything outside of me. But I am responsible for everything inside of me. This is, I love this stuff, okay? God, God makes this so clear. Look, Deuteronomy 19, 14. Come on, I like it when you read with me. Let's read together. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark, which the ancestors have set, in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. Now, God could have written anything in his law, couldn't he? Look what he writes. Don't move the boundaries. Here's another one. There, this comes up twice in Proverbs. Say it with me. Do not move the ancient boundaries which your fathers have set or go into the fields of the fatherless. Deuteronomy 27, 17. 
Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And all the people shall say, Amen. You understand? God cares about boundaries. If he cares about property, do you know how much he cares about your boundaries? This was one of the most revolutionary things that ever happened. Because if you grow up in an abusive situation, if you grow up and somebody has, has moved your boundary line so you don't even know where you start and they, they end, what happens is you don't, you don't know how to stand up for yourself. You don't know what's yours and what's not yours, what's right and what's not right, because the boundary lines have been broken in your life. And so God will come. And just like he said, you don't move those markers. He says, don't you touch my people. But the funny thing is, we won't stand up with God for ourselves. Because somehow we don't think that's humble. Or we, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Or the worst thing is that some people have been the most abused, then become the abusers of others. Because, because they've never known their own boundaries. They use their physical power to overpower others. Or they use their, their persuasion or their manipulation or whatever it might be. You see, God in his word is giving us a pattern that we must understand. You're an image bearer of God. Even if it's marred by sin, you're still worthy of dignity. You're still a person and you still have boundaries. Would you look at your neighbor? Are you tracking with me in this? Am I the only one going to get excited this morning? Am I the only one going to, going to enforce my boundaries this morning? <laughs> would you look at your neighbor and would you say this to them? You are a person, are a person. Worthy, of dignity, worthy of dignity, worthy of respect, worthy of respect. an image bearer of God. How could I ever mistreat a person if I believed that about them? How could I ever say you're less than me? Or even if I believe it about myself, how could I say, oh, everyone's so much greater, so much more valuable, so much more important than me? Do you understand? I have made these statements and they're made by God's word. And it doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your past is. Those things don't mar the fact that you're a person, that you're an image bearer, that you're worthy of dignity and respect. So this is from a book called Boundaries. And he said this, in the spiritual world, boundaries are just as real, but often harder to see. The goal of this week is to help you define your intangible boundaries and to recognize them as an ever-present reality that can increase your love and save your life. In reality, these boundaries define your soul and they help you to guard it and maintain it. Psalm 16, 5 and 6, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. You understand how that fits with this? If you're going to watch over your heart, you're going to have to know what your boundaries are. You're going to have to understand the dignity of your heart. You're going to have to understand the function of your heart. Listen, 
When, Bible, when the Bible says heart, it's talking about the control center of your being. It's not talking about simply your emotions. It's talking about what you value. And it means this. It's like the vault of knowledge that you have. It's what you know that you know that you know. The, the heart is where your deepest beliefs are. The heart is the mechanism of trust. And the heart is where your deepest commitments come from. And the Bible says your heart is so important and so valuable that you are to guard it. And I look around the room and I see people who have not guarded their hearts. And I have seen people who, because they did not believe they had value, let people take advantage of their hearts. Now, it might be they took advantage of your body. It might be they took advantage of your money. They might have taken advantage of your talents. They might have taken advantage of your time. But you see, because you did not think it important enough to guard your heart, you let them. Because again, whatever is outside the stakes of your property lines, you're not responsible for. Only what's inside. So if you have allowed someone to take advantage Yes, they are villains, but you let them. And until you own that, you will not be discerning. Because other people will come in and do the same. I remember one lady, very broken, who said to me, came and, you know, we wanted some emotional healing and we were talking. And she said, you know what? I don't need, I don't need any relationships I don't need any men in my life. I don't need anybody. I'm going to just wall myself off and I'm going to make sure nobody hurts me. I said to her, do you understand what you just did? No, she said. I said, you just made it to where any healthy person can't be near you. But you made it to where all the players want to play you. Because you see, those who love to con people, those who love to charm people, they love a wall. Because they know behind the wall is a broken person. And so they're attracted to the walls so they can destroy the person and then walk away taking advantage of that person. But what do we do? We put up walls. We're not guarding our hearts with walls. We're just enclosing our brokenness. We're just keeping our woundedness wounded. We're talking about not walls, friends. We're talking about learning how to be persons who let God be the defender of our, of our hearts. Are you tracking with me in this? Well, let me, let me just do one more thing. I'm not going to get to all of this today. I wish I, I could talk faster. <laughs> Look, listen, listen to what the psalmist says. This is my prayer for you. This is when I get up in the morning at five, six in the morning, start praying for it. This is my prayer. He says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot. That's the property lines. That's the boundary lines. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. That's what I pray for each of you. That's what this series is about is that you would begin to see what the Lord has for you. His default setting is blessing. His commitment to you is protection. And His inheritance for you is pleasant. You want to say it with me and just get it in your own, 
in your own words. Say it with me. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Can the people of the Lord say amen to that? Do you understand? That's, this is why we get away from alignment with the world. Even our families we get away from. And we move into alignment with the one who can secure your lines. And who can cause them to fall in pleasant places. Do you know God can do in a few minutes what you cannot do in a lifetime? But there has to be alignment. So these, again, this is from the book Boundaries. I think it's helpful. Boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and somewhere someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. If I know where my yard begins and ends, I am free to do with it what I like. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. However, if I do not own my life, my choices and options become very limited. The God of the Bible declares himself your creator. All that you are and all that you have ultimately belong to him. You are the steward of your life, including your body. God designed a world where we all live within ourselves. That is, we inhabit our own souls and live in a body. And we are responsible for the things that make up us. Now, this is not from the Boundary Book, but I'd like you to see this picture. Primarily, you are a spiritual being. You have a soul. That's where your personality comes from, your mind, your will, your emotions. And you live in a body. Before anyone comes to Christ, the Bible says you're dead in your sins and your trespasses. What does that mean? It means that that spirit is not alive because the spirit alive is alive in God. And it is only when you are born again and his spirit comes and reanimates your spirit that you are truly alive. And then you see your spirit becomes the place of your identity. The identity in Christ is not one you achieve, it's one you receive. And that receiving is by receiving Christ, you receive his spirit and his spirit makes you alive. And as long as God is alive, you will be alive. That's why you're, you're primarily a spiritual being because the spiritual aspect of you will live forever. But you're also a soul in that there's personality. There's nobody like you, praise God. But even, even when your family says, oh, you're just like so-and-so. No, you're not. You are a unique person where minds, the mind and your, your will and your emotions. Now, is, do you have ingredients of others? Yes. But you are uniquely you. And that's your personality. Now, the problem for most of us is we have defined our personality along with our pain and with our pride. And because we have not separated our pride and our pain from our personality, we don't understand the original design that God had for your personality. You understand, God didn't make you and say, let me put some more anger in this one. Oh boy, this one needs some more fear. 
Let's put a little people pleasing in this one. See, those are symptoms of pain, symptoms of pride. They're symptoms of the way your broken ego has tried to protect yourself. And so what we do is you begin to ask, God, what would I look like without fear? God, what would I look like without all this anger? God, what would I look like without all this lust in my life? And then the Lord will say, let me show you your true self. And, and, and this is the awesome thing, because in every way, what God is doing in your life is he's chipping away the things that are not you so that you can become the true you. He's a sculptor. Every good sculptor looks at whatever they're about to sculpt and says, in there is this design. And they chip away everything that's not that design until David appears by Michelangelo, until the, you know, the beautiful sculpture comes. But you have to chip away what's not the sculpture. And the sculptor does it. And sometimes he does it with a chisel, and sometimes it feels like he does it with a sledgehammer. But here's the thing. Without your spirit, you can only live by your body. So what happens is people, without the spirit, live by their appetites. And their appetites and their desires define them. And their mind, their, their emotions, their will is all about getting their appetites satisfied, which goes back to broken ego and broken pride. And so we are people who have been transformed from the inside out. We now have a source of life other than our appetites. We're not primarily a body. We're primarily spiritual beings who are now united to Christ through his spirit. Did you get quiet because you're thinking? All right. As long as you're not sleeping on me. So here's what... here's. How God defines the uniqueness of you. Listen, listen to this. Proverbs says, each heart knows its own bitterness. No one can share your joy. What does he mean by that? Well, there's a, a part of you that no one will ever completely understand. You are so unique, so hidden, that you really do go through life alone. This is tough on most of us. That so much, even though we might be connected to others, feels like we're all by ourselves. And then here's, here's where it becomes important to understand this verse. Don't be shocked by the fact that others don't know you. You don't even know yourself. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means the same thing Jesus talked about. There are a lot of people who will say, I did this good thing. And Jesus says, yeah, but your motive was evil. You did it so that people would love you. You did it so you would be praised. You did it so that you would be important. See, the Lord knows why we do what we do. You <laughs> That's one of the scariest things about God. I remember when I was a little kid, I learned theology through a thing called catechism. Question and answer. And one of the questions, I remember, like, I was just maybe, a, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight years old, something like that. And I heard this question. It says, can you see God? And the answer was, no, but he always sees you. Or he always sees me. When I was a little kid, I liked to sneak around. I liked to not get in trouble by being sneaky. 
And so I could fool my parents, my teachers, my Sunday school teacher. I could fool all of them and look like the angel when I was acting like the devil. But that verse stopped me in my tracks, that, that question, that answer. Because when I heard it, it went like this, can you see God? And I, I heard it like, nobody always sees me. Because <laughs> then it was saying, I could fool everybody else, but I could not fool God. That stuck with me. But now I see it's so important. In this sense, that even today, you don't know yourself as well as your, your creator does. You don't know yourself as well as the Holy Spirit does. Do you know what? The Spirit goes deep into your very being and, and brings up emotions you don't even have words for. And then he takes them to the mind of the Father and he connects your deepest longings with the deepest thoughts of the Father in a perfect prayer for you that's going on right now. This is why I'm saying to you, you can be indifferent about everything, but you cannot be indifferent about the will of your father for your life. Because only he knows the deepest longings, those non-contradictory longings of your heart and what you were designed and destined to be. And only he can get you there. But here's what, here's what Proverbs means as well. If God is not a friend, if he's not a personal relationship, with his covenantal love surrounding you like a boundary, then you are utterly alone in the world. See, this is, this is why we have to proclaim the gospel. Because even fallen fellowship is people putting their best foot forward, you know, and not really loving the person all the way to the bottom because they don't know them all the way to the bottom. This is also why you and I and the church should be the most loving place in the world because we know we don't even know ourselves that well. But the God who does know us that well loves us all the way to the top. This is why there cannot be racism in a church. This is why even if we are different, we welcome each other. Even if we don't always understand each other, we listen to each other. We treat each other with respect and with dignity. And we, we value that culture itself is something from God. Do you understand? After we go to heaven, culture continues. How do I know that? Because it says every tongue, every tribe is before the throne. In other words, praising God in heart language. Praising God in heart culture. Because God isn't getting away with culture, nor is, he, nor is he dissolving it. He's elevating it to its highest form. But what happens if, if you don't have God in your life? Then the scripture says you're utterly alone, even if you feel connected to others. Psalm 23 details the covenantal friendship of God that every believer gets to enjoy. If you're his, his, notice what it says. Goodness and steadfast love are chasing after you all the days of your life. Some of you need to stop running. It's been chasing after you and you've been running away from it because you're afraid to surrender to his love. Once you realize it's his covenantal love, his protection, his provision for you that's chasing after you, that he is by default a blessing God, then it's probably not a bad thing to say, let me stop running. Let me turn and chase him. 
So, are you still with me? So then, here's the deal. If there, are, if there are boundaries, I know this is really small. I'm sorry. I had so many words today. So little space. So, so here's the thing. You've got to learn about responsibility. Because you can't live a Christian life without having responsibility. But here's, here's my silly little way to look at it. It's the ability to respond. So if there's something in your life where you don't really have the ability to respond, it is not a responsibility that God has given you. It's a burden that somebody else has put on you. So here is the simplest way to change it. Outside of your boundaries, you're not responsible for anybody else. But you're responsible to everybody else. This is incredibly freeing. So here's what I want you to do. Look at your friend, your neighbor, the person who can tolerate you. I want you to point your finger at him. Okay, point your finger. All right, so you look at him and you say, you are not responsible for me. But you are responsible to me. Now look at him again and say, I am not responsible for you, but I am responsible to you. See, this changes parenting. It changes friendship. All things change. When somebody says, you make me crazy, you say, nope, I'm just revealing how crazy you really are. Oh, you make me so angry. No, I'm just revealing there's a reservoir of rage in you. And I'm, I'm doing you a favor by getting it up. Now run after you say that. Because they may not want to be responsible for the punch they give you or something. Oh, this is so important. You see, you see, what causes such anxiety and anger is people won't do what you want them to do because you feel like you're responsible for their actions, for their thoughts, for their attitudes, for their beliefs. You're never responsible for anybody else's choices. They are. They will stand before God for their choices, even your children. But are you responsible to them? Yes. You see, if you've been unloving, then you've failed your responsibility. If you haven't prayed for them, you've failed your responsibility. How they respond to that is their responsibility. You're responsible, you're responsible in so many ways you know, to give answers, that have to do with if they ask you of something, can I do this for them? Can I not do this for them? If you have to say to them, I'm not able to do this, and they're all angry with you, they're responsible for that anger. Because you see, healthy friendships realize some things people can't do. And if we are in the place where you have to say yes to me or you're not my friend, you're not really anybody's friend. Now, being responsible to people is a powerful thing. But it is a whole lot more freeing than being responsible for them. Yeah. 
And I see people, particularly if you watch television shows, people always say, I was responsible for this. I was responsible for that. They live in guilt. They live in shame. They live in burden, depression, all kinds of stuff. Because, you know, I'm responsible for that person's death. I'm responsible for that person's drug addiction. I'm responsible. You understand? What happens is somebody else's choices now drag you into cursing. And you are letting them. Because you don't know your own boundaries. Please hear me today. You've got to practice this. I'm responsible to. I'm not responsible for. That does not make you passive. It does not make you uninvolved. It just makes you involved with freedom and allows you to function in a healthy way. Now, being a person means I get to decide who I let in and what I let out. This is where spiritual discernment becomes most important. I let the good in, having had all my faculties trained to know what is good and what is evil. And I let the evil out where there is pain or sin within. I open up and I communicate it to God and to others so that I can be healed. Confessing pain and sin helps to get it out. In other words, a lot of us have left in our property stuff that will explode on us landmines that the enemy likes to tweak in us because we've never confessed how much pain we've experienced. We've never confessed how much weakness we feel. We've never confessed how hurt we feel. Now, what we do is we don't confess it, but we explode on other people or we explode on ourselves. And so being a person means that you've got to know what to keep in and what to let out. Keep the good in. Let the evil out. And when the good is on the inside, we need to open up our gates and let it in. Jesus speaks of this phenomenon in receiving him and his truth. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with them. I will fellowship. I will eat with you. Oh, let him in. Let him into the pain. Let him into the places of weakness. I... <laughs> I've been thinking about this all this week, how, how powerful it is when you lean in to this idea of nothing but the will of God in my life. Then when you see that there are places in your life that are not aligning with his will, do you know what the scripture says? Confess it. It doesn't say change it and bring the change to God. It says confess it. And then do you know what it says? The minute you confess it, is the minute he starts cleansing it. Confess your sins. If he is faithful and he is just to cleanse your sin. I mean, come on. He's not saying clean it up. He's saying bring it to him. He's saying let him in. Let the one who cleansed the temple cleanse your temple. See, and then the other thing is you start to realize that the more cleansing you get, the more you like and enjoy good people who bring good things to you. One of the ways that you know that you're not letting the good in is if all the people you're tied up with and all the people you're attracted to are unhealthy people. If you look in your life and you say, I don't want to be with nice people, that's a problem for you. 
And then if you look at your life and you say, well, why are all these, all these manipulators and controllers and all of these people who are so untrustworthy in my life? Then you got to look and say, yeah, they are that, but it's saying more about you than them. And it's saying you've walled yourself off from the good and somehow you're still attracted to what will damage you. You're attracted to what will hurt you. And if you say to me, yeah, but, you know, Jesus was friends of sinners. Yes, Jesus transformed the sinners. The sinners didn't transform Jesus. The leper couldn't make Jesus unclean. But Jesus could make the leper clean. There's a real difference from ministry and letting people destroy you. And let me, can I say what it is? It's a boundary. It's a boundary that says this is unhealthy. I'm not going to participate with this. And I'm not responsible for these people. Now, if God gives you an assignment, and he's often given me assignment with very difficult people, not in New City, of course. But you recognize you're the giver in this. You're not the receiver. But see, if you're in anywhere where you're the giver, you have to be somewhere where you're the receiver. Come on, this is worth something here to you. Are you hearing me? So what I've been saying is this. Often we will close ourselves to good things from others, staying in a state of deprivation. Healthy spiritual discernment is not a wall that we hide behind the Bible does not say that we are to be walled off from others. In fact, it says that we are to be one with them. John 17, 11. Let me, let me just, I want to hit a couple of points. I would love it if some of you would join me this week as we unpack this whole thing and spend more time on each of these. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's what you're responsible for. Okay? Would you just say it with me? I am responsible for... Governing my own life. So the first boundary in your life is your skin. And skin really means it's your physical self. It's the physical boundary or barrier that protects you. It keeps the bad out and lets the good in. So what God has done is he's shown you in a physical way that you have a space. And if people are violating your space, they are crossing over into your boundaries in a way that's not healthy. That's why physical abuse is so destructive. It's why sexual abuse is so destructive. Can I tell you, it's why verbal abuse is so destructive. Because you see, it's violating the barrier. What do we see with COVID-19? It's violating the barrier. It's getting beyond the skin. It's adapting to and adhering to other things in our bodies that make us sick. Do you not know that by allowing spiritual things to penetrate the physical barrier, you're also making yourself sick? Words. Words are, are something that you and I must realize that the greatest demonstration of your spiritual discernment are the words you use. The first word that God teaches a little child is no. Right? I call up, I call up my granddaughter. She's four. And I say, do you want a present? No. And then she goes, oh, yeah. 
Her first word is no. And then she thinks, oh, present. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, yeah. I want it now, you know, kind of a thing. But the, the, you and I, for some reason, sophisticate ourselves out of no. And we don't learn the power of, I can set a boundary by saying no and staying firm. Will you say it with me? No. Say it again. You are not being evil when you say no. You are being human. You are being a person. God gave you that word to confront what wants to cross the boundaries. And if someone cannot hear no, it tells you a lot about that person. But if you can't say no, it tells you a lot about you. I, I hear the music, but I have one to share this with you. So, again, truth versus lies. Remember, I've, I've kept saying to you, indifferent to anything but the Father's will, anything but the truth, in other words, is what you're basing your life on lies. And, and the lies could be something like this. I can only be loved if I do what everybody wants me to do. I will only be safe if I don't have anybody who can hurt me in my life. I can only have value if I have this position, this job, this career, this name, whatever it is. You see, the three questions that have to be answered by the truth are, are these three. Am I loved? Do I matter? How can I be safe? And what happens is, most of us spend our whole life answering those with lies. Answering it with very conditional answers. When God says, I have an unconditional, I actually would say it this way. God says, I have a counter conditional love for you. Yes, you are loved and it isn't because you're lovable. It's because I loved you. Yes, you matter. I gave my own life, my own son for you. Are you safe to be present to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus himself united you with him in his death. He rose again from the dead. He blew a door out the backside of, outside of death. And Paul says, because he has conquered death, you have conquered death. This other barrier is interesting. How close and how quickly do I let people get inside my barriers? It's the idea of distance and trust. Do you understand? Not everybody is worthy of 100% trust. Truthfully, nobody is worth 100% trust. Everybody in this room is flawed. And so what we have to do is say, how do I learn to have closeness, but not too close? How do I learn to move in relationship with this person, but not so quickly that I let them in to destroy me until I know what they're worth. As a matter of fact, this is what's happening in dating. This is what's happening in sexual relationships. People are getting physically naked before they ever get emotionally naked with each other. And they are committed physically and connected physically long before they actually know if this is a person worth my body and my soul. The Bible is not a prude about sex. It's the only way to actually enjoy this kind of intimacy is to have covenantal commitment with the person you have intimacy. 
how close, how quickly. And then, do you know what you were made for? You were made for a relationship. What was the only time God said it wasn't good? When man was alone. So we are relational people. And you look and are, my, are the connections that I'm having with people and, and, and my sense of belonging, are these healthy things? Do I have a sense that I'm known? Do I have a sense that I'm understood? Do I have a sense that people are committed to me? One of the greatest things in my life is my wife. She knows all of my secrets. She knows my weaknesses. And yet throughout it all, she has stayed committed to me. Yeah, I, I often wonder, because I, I was not the good husband. And I've wondered, why did she love me like this? And the truth is that her unconditional love for me was really the only way that I began to understand the unconditional love of God for me. We belong, we are relational. You may not be in a way, you may not be worth anybody else's time, but if you're in Christ, you have the potential of being one of the greatest people that ever lived. He said, he came that he might, you might have life and have it abundant. He says, if you abide in me and, and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will. And he's talking about growing fruit, maturing fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that multiplies. But that doesn't happen solo. It happens when you belong. So I'm going to, are you guys with me on this? Are you hearing what is me and what is not me? So Ashley's going to close this out here. I'm sorry I went a little bit long, but I'm not really sorry. So hey. Will you stand with me as we close? I feel like Pastor Mike gave us a lot to think about this morning. And this is the first uh, of this kind of focus on boundaries. We're going to explore this over the next few weeks. But the part that really stuck out to me as Pastor Mike was preaching is he asked these questions. What would I look like as a person without fear? What would I look like as a person who isn't angry? What would I look like as a person who forgives? And the thing that I want you to hear this morning that Pastor Mike did mention, but I want to really stress it is, you don't have to fix these places. You just have to confess these places. It's not your responsibility to leave this place and go try to fix all these areas in your life, but it is your responsibility to confess them and allow the cleansing process to take place. And I feel like that's where these boundaries start is this cleansing process. And so would you pray with me this morning? Father, I ask that, that this week, as, as these words settle into our minds and into our lives, and as we, we, we feebly attempt to live these things out, God, would you reveal the places in us that we need to confess? Would you reveal the places of unforgiveness? Would you reveal the places of anger? Would you reveal the places where we have taken responsibility for things that are not ours to take responsibility for? Father, would you reveal them so quickly? We wanna be a people who will confess these to you because we know that, that the quickness, you will respond with the quickness to cleanse these places in our lives. God, we want to be people that look like you. We want to be people who know how to say no. 
We want to be people with boundaries, but people who know how to love and people who are cleansed. Pastor Mike used this phrase, the greatest people who ever lived. We want to be that, but we can't be that without you. And so we say this morning, Father, reveal to us the places that we need to lift up to you so that we can be a people who live and look like you. We give you glory and honor. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.